Robert Olin Butler has published 16 novels, amongst them A Small Hotel and Perfume River, as well as A Good Scent from a Strange Mountain, which won the 1993 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. In 2013, he became the 17th recipient of the F. Scott Fitzgerald Award for Outstanding Achievement in American Literature. His stories have appeared widely in publications such as New Yorker, Esquire, GQ, The Paris Review, and many more. Butler's works have also been translated into 21 languages, a few of which include Vietnamese, Serbian, Farsi, Estonian, and Chinese. He's a craft distinguished professor holding the Michael Shara Chair in Creative Writing at Florida State University. He lives in Florida with his wife, poet Kelly Lee Butler. More of him can be seen at www.robertolenbutler.com. Uh, I make a careful distinction between writing from your dreams and writing from the place where dreams come from. Yes. Um, the former I've never found useful. Indeed, the process of dreaming, I suspect, and the process of creating are not dissimilar. That in both cases, the dreamer and the artist both are trying to articulate, first and foremost for themselves, their perceived, intuited sense of the order and meaning, therefore, behind the apparent chaos of moment-to-moment -moment life on planet Earth. And for the artist and the dreamer, the only way, the literal dreamer, mm. which is all of us, the only way we know to do that, the primary mode of not just expression but of understanding, is to re-engage the chaotic world whose chaos resides in the fact that we are creatures of the body, of the senses, and of the moment. Yes. And the only way the, the dream or the work of art ultimately finds that a way of articulating, embodying that order is to go back to the way in which we perceive the chaos to begin with, which is through our bodies. The moment-to-moment -moment sensual and therefore emotional experience of life on planet Earth. And there are many people who think that life makes sense and has order. Mm -hmm. Scientists and philosophers and theologians and therapists, I mean, they all have that intuition, that belief. But all those other folks are perfectly happy with and indeed embrace the understanding of that order and the expression of it in abstraction. Mm -hmm. You know, religious dogma and scientific law and psychoanalytic insight and, and so forth. The artist is deeply uncomfortable with that. The only way the artist can understand or express her vision is to create it into these objects that are experienced the way life is in the moment through the senses. Yes, I, I believe it's a stronger, well, you mentioned psychoanalysis. And I think it is a stronger concretization of the way we are, mm -hmm. all the arts, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. that's theory. And so you believe more in chaos or more mm -hmm. in individual expression. And well, I believe that chaos is, is, is lurking behind all of our life experience, you know. Mm -hmm. Life on planet Earth is you just got your coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> you have a wonderful coffee, whatever yeah. you think is wonderful. 
and you go up in your elevator to your office, mm -hmm. high in the building, and you sit down with your coffee, and the sun is sparkling on the Hudson River out your window, and, and all of a sudden, a, a man with a vision of 72 virgins dancing in his head flies a Boeing 767 through your window and up your butt. Mm -hmm. Welcome to planet Earth. And there are windows in your inner life. There are jet planes hurtling out of control or for those windows as well. But, you know, behind all the assurances, those modes of thought and and belief that are easily extractable and, and abstractable, mm -hmm. those things are wonderful to keep us from being aware of that constant thing that lives with us, that at any moment something can fly through your window. And, and, and so, you know, it's not that I embrace chaos, it's that I think the artist is keenly aware that it is always with us and yet can sense the patterns, the meanings, the resonant thrumming that lies behind it, but can only get at that by creating these objects of the senses. Uh, what I sense from your writing, from Perfume River to other short fictions and severance, and, and throughout your writing is this, you are reaching for, or to remind us, maybe not mortality, but intensity, like to seize these moments of life that we have. Yes, and to yeah, seize it in a very particular way. Fiction, ultimately, it seems to me, is, is the art form of human yearning. Mm -hmm. That every art form has certain things, that, that's why it, it, it exists. And for fiction, there are a few things. It's about human beings and it's about their feelings. But it's also about the fact that it is a temporal art form. It exists in time. And also, it's, a, it's an art form of language. And, but other art forms of language, I mean, we, we share what I'm about to say with the other narrative art forms to some extent. Poetry, for example, art form of language, doesn't have to acknowledge time. But if you let the line length run on and you turn the page, you are, this is always usually said, upon a time. Mm -hmm. and, and, and any Buddhist will tell you that you cannot exist for even 30 seconds of time on planet Earth as a p person, as human beings with feelings, without desiring something. We are creatures of desire, large desires and small desires. And so fiction because of its temporality because even what we think of as plot is, is is really that is that desire in action challenged and thwarted mm -hmm. and that's what creates the dynamics of plot i use the word in english of yearning which suggests the deepest level of desire mm -hmm. which is where um literary fiction goes and just in the last few years something that i think is if not universally, at least in my mind universally, and per perhaps certainly widely just by empirical evidence, I think there's a kind of, to borrow a phrase from Einstein, a kind of unified field theory of yearning in, uh -huh. in fiction. And what I, how I would identify the unified field theory mm -hmm. is that if you dig deep enough in characters, central characters particularly in, in fiction, that if you if you go from the, 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 the immediate goals and objectives and the deeper kinds of manifestations of desire, if you really dig down to their the deepest thing that they are yearning for, mm -hmm. the characters are yearning for a self. One self just for a self, for an identity. Mm -hmm. 
for a place in the universe. No, not an other, not an other. I'm talking about their own self. They are yearning to understand who they are. It's the great every soul, and and the reason I think it's the it's it's true of almost all great literature, mm-hmm. is it's true of life, mm-hmm. that all the things, the flashpoints, this, that that we see in our in our lives in our culture, gender and race and religion and ethnicity and sexual preference and uh, I mean all of the issues that we have. That if you step back from them, even a half step. What are they? They are simply answers to that great question. Because every soul on this planet every morning wakes up. And you look in a mirror, and it could be a real mirror or a virtual mirror or a metaphorical mirror, or you're not even aware of it, but you are. And you, and you can do it consciously, or it's always happening unconsciously. But we look at each other every day, ourselves, and we say, who the hell are you? Mm. It's, it's that question, the great who the hell am I, that uh, I think that all those... All those systems, that's what that's the that's the answer that all those things that are flashpoints that you know uh, I am a man, I'm a woman, I am a, a Christian, I am a Jew, I am a Muslim, I am an atheist, I am straight, I am gay, I'm you know I'm black, I'm white. I, those aspects of life are simply institutionalized, recognizable answers to that question. Who the hell am I? I'm sorry, it makes, it's very fascinating, and it, it proposes two questions to my mind. Mm-hmm. I know, well, I know your background as studying theater, having been an actor, yes. and, uh, and also often when you talk about writing, you, it seems also like an actor speaking it to yes. me. And it also proposes another question to me, and that's whether, and I don't know if you can generalize, because each writer is different, each artist is different, whether, but definitely with actors, I feel my experience of meeting them, uh, whether you're the the reader or some writers want to find the self, but perhaps with the actor or some writers, maybe escape from selves or find these selves. You mentioned Buddhism. Mm-hmm. The, the, we have not this fixed self. Yeah. Well, I mean, those are all aspects of of the pursuit, mm-hmm. and and some convince themselves that they reside only in being others. Uh, mm-hmm. And some convince themselves that they are everyone, mm-hmm. and and all of those are nevertheless coming to the same question as, as to who yes, am I? I mean, it, I, I may be. I, I my answer to myself is that myself is many. Mm, yes. I mean that is still an answer, yes. and it's the thing we pursue. But I always I always think it's a it's a dangerous thing to mm-hmm. to come to an idea of what that might be. You know, I, I inveigh against in my in my pedagogy, and I teach mm-hmm. creative writing. I've been doing it for th- thirty four years, mm-hmm. and and in my in the in my practice of my art, mm-hmm. uh, I inveigh against abstractions and philosophy and yeah. theories. And but we are trapped in that mode of communication, yeah. and everything I've been saying to you is abstract and theoretical mm-hmm. and philosophical. Yes. You know, that's the great paradox of all this. Mm-hmm. It's been my experience, those who believe in what you said, that there is no one self and I, I can just take on all these other roles or mm-hmm. I, am, I am everyone or for many of the people that are trying to come to that conclusion, mm-hmm. it is an idea. Mm-hmm. It is safer. I think that yes. it is a safe thing. And that's yes. what all these abstractions are for, safety. Yes. 
it you know make life better it makes it understand the, 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 the dark existential memory mm -hmm. of fear yeah. not memory fear is that in spite of all these other creatures around us we are when it comes down to it utterly alone on this in this life I, I offer that not as a kind of formulated idea that then mm -hmm. you try to apply mm -hmm. but it is it is one of the it's one of the things that I think drives us to, to find an answer it's comforting mm -hmm. to, to to try to believe oh it's, I don't have to find my individual self because I'm just everybody <laughs> I, can, I, I and and yes I can take on I mean you, you know you find very few you've taken yourself you've, on many voices I have oh I mean absolutely a, a wild multiplicity yes, yes. It's true. That's it. To me, it's, 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 it's be the beauty of your writing. It's Thank you. Not, Thank it's you. not repetitive. You're experimenting, even though you returned to Vietnam, a uh, good sand from a strange mountain, or now in a perfume river, mm -hmm. and you're not afraid to put on these other guys and, and uh, be experimental. But I, mean, I suppose we should talk a bit about uh, perfume river. Mm -hmm. Yes. And tell me the inception uh, of it, and I guess the, the multi-generational. Well, it's certainly, uh, you know, I'm 73 years old, mm -hmm. and, and it's my boomer generation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a Vietnam veteran. Mm -hmm. um, I went to Vietnam to court something that was impossible to me, my, my father's love and approval, which is how mm -hmm. the Robert in the book does. Yes. That was not my motive, and I, I was about to be drafted as I was finishing up my master's degree. And mm -hmm. I went to Vietnam as a volunteer so that I could choose my, what they call the military occupational specialty. Mm -hmm. You were counterintelligence? I, I was in counterintelligence. And, um, and the Army mm -hmm. trained me in that. But then they sent me to Vietnamese language school. Mm -hmm. you, could you speak about that relationship? You had a, a someone who trained you. Yes, like they were choosing a lot of army members to, to to learn Vietnamese. Not many who went to school actually learned it, although nobody mm -hmm. flunked out. Yeah. Uh, in spite of the army rumors saying that if you flunked out, you went to Korea instead. But of course, that <laughs> wasn't nobody <laughs> did yeah. flunk out. Yeah. But um, I was in a group of ten people in a mm -hmm. classroom in suburban Washington D.C. and. Um, in a high-rise building, and there were such classes all up and down many floors in that building. And for each 10 men, there was a, a native Vietnamese speaker. Mm -hmm. And we spent a year full-time learning Vietnamese, or trying to. It's a tonal language, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's tricky for American ears. Um, I, I heard the tones. I was able to master them. So then I was sent to Vietnam, and in my first day in Vietnam, I already spoke fluent Vietnamese. In my second day in Vietnam, I fell madly in love mm -hmm. with, the, with the country, with its landscape, its people, its, its culture, its history. And um, I worked um, five months out in the countryside and had close contact as in counterintelligence, or actually intelligence collection. And... Um, I had close contacts with Vietnamese farmers and woodcutters and fishermen and provincial police chiefs. And then I, um, the, the unit stood down and went home. It was in 1971, and that was happening at that point. And, um, but I still owed the, the, the Army seven months in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But I had endeared myself to an American diplomat uh, who, in, in my course of my other duties, and he was the advisor to the mayor of Saigon, and he had me assigned to him. And I spent seven months then working in Saigon City Hall, mm -hmm. 
for him. It was a civilian clothes job. I lived in an old French hotel on Tarnandao Street. And, you know, I, I spent every night virtually for seven months um, with my 38 pistol in the bottom drawer of the, dre- of the dresser, and I wandered the, the steamy back alleys of Saigon, which was not advisable. It was no front lines in the Vietnam War, as you probably know. But I, I was in love, and so I didn't care. And I, armed, I, I was armed only with the Vietnamese language. And the Vietnamese people, nobody ever seemed to sleep mm-hmm. <laughs> back there. And they were very um, warm and generous-spirited, and they were um, thrilled that I spoke their language, and I, you know, regard, had, held them in high regard. And they invited me into their homes and into their culture and into their lives. And so I Vietnamized myself. And not only what I learned about them from my books, but what I, much of what I know about the universal human condition, uh, I learned from them in the back alleys of Saigon. You learned how to also be a writer there, or you have? I did, uh, though I wasn't aware of how I was learning it. I, mm-hmm. My master's degree, which I had just received when I was hit, had to go into the Army, was um, in playwriting from the University of Iowa. Now, I was not, you know, I wasn't fully conscious of it, but I was not a very good playwright, and I, but I should have known better because my most impassioned writing was going into the stage directions. Now, that's a very bad sign for a playwright. That's a, that's yeah. a closeted fiction writer is what yeah. that is. And um, so when I was in Vietnam, my head, mm-hmm. trying to will myself to write things, mm-hmm. um, assumed I was a playwright. Mm-hmm. But I was, I, was, I was taking in the world. Artists are ravenous for life experience, and I was ravenous, and so I was taking all of it in. Mm-hmm. And um, I often cite um, Graham Greene, the great British novelist, who said, all good novelists have bad memories. Mm-hmm. He says, what you, what you remember comes out as journalism, what you forget goes into the compost of the imagination. And that's the theme of your wonderful website. It's the creative process is really is to work from the things forgotten, the mm-hmm. from your sensual mechanism. You know what you what your body remembers, but your mind does not. Mm-hmm. That was how um, uh, I took in Vietnam, and that I had to live with all that for a while. And then I began to write fiction, and I was still writing from my head. The great basic thing that I have to teach virtually every student that comes to me, in spite of the fact we give a PhD in creative writing, and many of them have already master's fine arts degrees in creative writing from august institutions, but I find almost every one of them, I have to teach this, that art does not come from the mind. Art does not come from the rational analytical faculties. Art does not come from theories. It does not. I I jump all over my students when they say, I've got a great idea for a short story. No, the hell you don't. Art comes Mm -hmm. from the place where you dream, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned, we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. From your unconscious, from your white hot center. And and so I had to compost Mm -hmm. what I knew in Vietnam and what I knew growing up in the steel mill town in the Midwest of the United States and, and, and eventually what I've known over several marriages. And I mean, all of that has gotten into the compost heap. We par- departed from on this from from Perfume the Perfume River, yes. and this was the book that, at age seventy three, was ready to be written from all of the composted life I've led. Mm-hmm. 
this book probably deals with more more uh, strata in yes. that compost heap than, than than many of the other books did. But that's where all the, the books I am proud of, the ones that I've like, published. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number of unpublished yes. things that I have had in my life, but mm-hmm. when I finally began to publish, I, it was because something turned in me. I began to write from the compost heap, and I began, uh, though I've only recently formulated the notion, I, all of my, every character in every one of my books is yearning, and, and it's that that, sh- that drives the engine of narrative. So I see so many, not all of them, but so many have a, are so rooted in voice as well. But mm-hmm. um, And then you're working with third person sometimes. But I can see that that's something you can explore more in, in fiction. Hello, creators. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast from The Creative Process. I'm Xander Guidry, an undergraduate linguistics student at Princeton University, as well as creative writing podcaster and LGBTQ voices editor here at The Creative Process. I really internalized Butler's claim that fiction is the art form of human yearning, especially in the context of us using our yearning to try to figure ourselves out why we were the person we used to be, why we are who we are right now in this moment in time, and who we dream of growing into. As an aspiring poet, I also hope to stumble upon the answer to the great who the hell am I, hopefully with my writing as a catalyst. My most recent poem, which I call What's in a Name, is where I explore this concept. And you can give it a read at www.creativeprocess.info. This poem rises above all my other writings in the sense that it encapsulates the cross-section of my identities and the physical form that nourishes them, as well as the consequences of the evolving yearnings of a human mind like mine. While writing this piece, I found it incredibly difficult to not confuse what's coming from my mind with what was calling to me from the place where I dream, as Butler calls it, our white-hot center, our compost heap. Butler says that keeping these separate is an absolute necessity in writing, and no matter how confusing the difference between the two can get, I completely agree with him. I find that our humanness comes from our ravenous imagination, our endless capacity for creativity and ingenuity. In order for a written piece to truly be a part of you, your humanness is where it has to come from. It has to be born never having known the rationality of our mind. It must bypass our thoughts completely and come directly from our core. Otherwise, it will be tainted by us trying to observe and process and understand it. When it comes to writing, we are supposed to gain enlightenment about ourselves from the final product, not from the discovery of the yearning within us that brought it about. What fuels our writing isn't meant to be understood. It's only meant to fuel the journey of the creation of what is. I I thought it was so fascinating how you explored the distance between different characters and Mm -hmm. what they can't say. Yes, and that's that's very important in the in Perfume River. And by the way, that's why it's one of the I've published twenty three works of fiction, and the first five were all 
classically third-person narrator with, you know, omniscient, but mm -hmm. third-person. With The Deuce, my sixth novel, I began to write in the first person, and my Pulitzer book, of course, is first person, and most of the books I've written since have been first person. But in the last 10 years or so, I've begun to do third person some, and one of the, the things you put your finger on quite smartly is that is one of the reasons why I've I've moved to the to the third person, because um, in Perfume River, what you say is a kind of observation. Uh, I talk about art in pursuit of the the order and the meaning behind life. Although this book certainly, in doing that, acknowledges that 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 people misunderstand each other profoundly, uh, and they it seems to to turn on a small moment and almost trivial thing, glancing away and missing, you know, how a daughter can feel only the disapproval of her father all her life, and there is a moment when he shows, a man who is not prone to show his feelings, shows on his face his pride in his daughter, even in the middle of an argument with her, and she has looked away out the window at just that moment, you know, the, this is the, the scene, and, and and so the fragility of language and, and the ways in which we are all uh, prone to um, misunderstand each other and often sometimes ne it's never corrected. Um, that's certainly an ongoing aspect of what happens in, uh, in Perfume River. And may I ask, I don't know if it's too personal, because I know you, your father also was fought, fought mm -hmm. another, mm -hmm. and can I ask? about your own, I know it diverges from the, the plot of the mm -hmm. novel, of course, but obviously Robert and Bob, but, uh, but it's not obvious. But I mean, is what were some of the unspoken things? What were some of those? Did you have all those conversations? With about? my father? Yeah. My father um, was extraordinarily supportive of me in everything mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. I, never, I never doubted for a moment that he loved me and that he uh, respected me. So that... You know that aspect of 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 William, the father in 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 the novel, is quite different mm -hmm. from my father. But on the other hand, my father kept profound secrets and carried them to his grave. I don't know what they were. Um, some about the war. You know, he was silent about so many things, and that was frustrating to my mother. I'm sure. That was, um, but I, I think he was an undiagnosed depressive for one thing. Right. Yeah, because of the war. Um, well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, who I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you know, he was born in 1919, and and his depression had to have been with him for a long while. Mm -hmm. You know, he never had a moment of never even considered therapy at all. I mean, but. Grew up, in a, grew up in a generation that, for whom that was not a natural thing. But what's your position on therapy? Can I ask you? What's my position? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, it utterly depends on the therapist, and mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's an extraordinarily important calling for mm -hmm. people who have a gift mm -hmm. to help others reach inside themselves and sort out the chaos. It can be a sacrifice, it, like teaching. Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I think there are greatly gifted therapists in the world. Um, and I think they probably have the same challenge that artists do, that mm -hmm. those who, 
whose approach to the mind and sensibility and soul in front of them, who has come to them for help, if their approach is from um, the mind, from uh, the theories and the the abstracted knowledge Mm -hmm. of therapy Mm -hmm. that they sort out and willfully apply, or even smartly so, Mm -hmm. to to the person in front of them. I have a hunch that they are not nearly, I mean, that is, and that's probably what, seeing how many people, talented people wish to be artists and how many people publish books and mm-hmm. how many books don't work in this mm-hmm. way. Yes. Um, I'm sure that there, there are many, many therapists mm-hmm. are analyzing from their head when indeed they need to be looking in some other place in themselves. Yeah, they're human beings, not robots, uh, although we're going close, we're getting close. No, no, to yeah, no, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's a kind of art form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, improv, I guess you It's could an say. improvisational art form, but, mm-hmm. it, but the problem is it's not improv. That Too many times it's scripted, and you take the uh, patient before you, mm-hmm. you pull out the bits and pieces that fit your preconceived theories, and then try to stitch all that together and give it back mm-hmm. or it's that it's an art form mm-hmm. therapy is an art form and uh and it's not often yeah like there's practiced there's, that way yeah, exactly there's not so many great artists no the, there the are not so many great therapists either. but there are not so many great carpenters Anything. you know i mean <laughs> plumbers <laughs> yeah. um going back to one thing i was thinking as i read you right Perfume River and uh, and other books, but I guess Perfume River more. I'm thinking of. I kept asking myself, what is courage, and is it sometimes more courageous to be silent, to mm-hmm. put things in, or to reveal them? Yeah, I I don't know. And and look, it's a, it's a legitimate speculation mm-hmm. uh, about a work of art to to ask that question. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately the work of art resists mm-hmm. the, the abstracting mm-hmm. understandings. Yes. And ultimately you thrum to a work of art, like mm-hmm. a string vibrating on a stringed instrument. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that there, there is no simple answer to that mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a generalizing way is why, is why art exists, to mm-hmm. offer the kinds of answers to that where it doesn't become a principle, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if there's a if we can generalize that. But. It's, it's each person's experience. I just think about I don't have those experiences about war or I, I suppose one thing that I understand from your books is that I may even through other people from a distance have experiences of war mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to die. It seems to be passed on. Right. 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 And our, our and and it's a legitimate impulse for us to try to gather up those experiences and mm-hmm. and find a kind of code, mm-hmm. you know, break the code and understand mm-hmm. them. But um, it's what religions try to do. And, oh, and I'm sorry, that's the last thing. Uh, no, no, I know. <laughs> and I think all the, all the great religions of the world would be much better understood mm-hmm. as massive objects of performance art. Yes, it's That the true. truths that they're in touch with are metaphorical truths. Mm-hmm. But as soon as... Metaphor turns into dogma. The shit hits the fan. Yes, it's true. Pardon the no, it is crude okay. <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> I think we can forgive the crimes committed in the um, name of religion when you look at certain masterpieces, have, which have also oh, been well, created. Oh, well, it's true, yeah, yeah. And then I 
forgive is probably too a generous a word, but you know. Right. I would not like that to be wiped off. But the, no. Uh, but you yeah. see, the object that you just described is mm -hmm. the painting. Yes. Which is a, which is an object utterly, completely of the senses. Mm. Just like a dream. But also writing. I mean, the Bible is a great book, isn't it? I mean, well, some of it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. But the guy at the center of the Christian religion mm -hmm. in the Bible um, made a point of saying that, that he only taught by parables, you know. Mm -hmm. What's the kingdom of heaven? Well, there was a guy who owned a, a vineyard, and he had a son, and so forth. I mean, mm -hmm. the problem with the Bible is that, that too often the impulse is to turn it into dogma, to turn it into rubrics mm -hmm. and abstractions. And if, if these were massive objects of performance art, and we, we took the, what truths are in each of the religions as mm -hmm. metaphorical truth. I think artists do. Yeah, yeah, artists do, yeah. sure. Well, that's what I was about to say. I mean, a painting, a religious yeah. painting is all of the senses. Mm -hmm. It can only be metaphorical mm -hmm. if you're trying to understand the universe from it. When language gets involved, language is that is you know two-edged sword. It can mm -hmm. it can be it can be of the body, but it's often of the abstracting, generalizing, dogmatizing do realm. You, now, because you became a novelist, do you ever act or collaborate? I know you collaborate on ballet. Have you just really turned towards the written board? I, I've no, I've not been collaborating. I'm not averse to it, but. Um, you know, I've never been drawn to collaborating for something that ends up in the written word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I, I was a playwright once. Mm -hmm. I'm not a very good playwright because my most impassioned writing was going into the stage directions. That's a very yeah. bad sign for a playwright. You know, I, the objects that are, were in me, I needed to, to manage every detail. It was not the mm -hmm. performing arts or collaborative arts. But I do mm -hmm. love, however... Um, and I did train as an actor in my earliest days. Mm -hmm. I do in greatly enjoy performing from my work. No, I haven't. I haven't mm -hmm. done any collaborative work. I want to go through your other books, oh, Small Hotel. I don't know if you just want to speak about your different works. Oh, sure. That kind of oh, your perfume river sort of picks up from some themes that you had in Small Hotel um, in terms of marriages and. Well, you know, my unified field theory of yearning yes. is is at work in all of uh -huh, them. Yes. Everyone is in pursuit of an of a self, and uh -huh. um, it's it's a broad question and, and requires a kind of generalizing. Abstracting of of the you know comparable meanings, mm -hmm. and 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 everything I've said so far is that I don't. That's like not the that. way I think oh, about. Let me, that, let me you know? rephrase that. Yeah. I actually didn't mean it as a question. Oh, good. <laughs> I just meant could we just talk generally through your different works and how one work uh, led to another, and you know I don't know. Yeah. It's hard because you've written so much, so I just want you. Yeah, to and yeah. and it's an eclectic group. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> yes. went from hell. Exactly, yes. Which is set entirely in hell. Yeah, and has they, some nice welcome parts by Shakespeare. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all kinds of folks, yeah. And um, based on the premise, basically, that, you know, everyone, there is no one on this planet who does not have millions of even sometimes billions of other people mm -hmm. who will actively believe that, that, that you're going to hell. I mean, everyone is thought to be going to hell by somebody. And some people believe that this is a kind of hell. <laughs> in the meantime, yeah, yes, right. yeah, in the, yeah, exactly. Even if you don't have, 
yeah, a, a, a religion. And so hell is based on the premise that everybody's right. Mm-hmm. So every, literally everybody's in hell. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, but, I mean, I, I wrote f- from that to, to a collection of speaking severed heads to yeah. a small hotel, which is, uh, what is it? A romance of sorts, mm-hmm. I suppose. It's mm-hmm. a broken marriage. And, and, uh, and, I've, and I've written some... Intercourse. Intercourse, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've written... F- Three and uh, the fourth is done and is coming out in October. The sort of literary historical espionage thrillers. Oh yes. Um, you know it's it, it's such an eclectic body of work. What is the pattern, if I may say? Because some people have sort of a, like a. Well, I know that one has led to another with espionage thrillers, but some people have a kind of pattern where they do short stories and they. Get yeah, to a yeah, novel. I know. In is fact, that those three espionage thrillers I wrote in three years, basically. Yeah, that's amazing. It was the first time I think I'd ever written two books in a row that seemed to be from the same it's author. Graham Greene. It, it seemed to be from. <laughs> yes, I know. That's true. Um, but I, you know, all of them have been in, in pursuit of. What we talked about earlier—that is, you know—these are works that embody the endless quest for an identity for a self. They are all deeply involved in all the time. The the very large cast of characters that seems to reside in me um, is um, a bit of a, a wonder and mystery to me as well. But there they are, and they present themselves to me, and listen to them, and put down what they say. Which um, teachers, as we're speaking about cast of characters, which, in terms of your acting teachers, and I know that your father was also in theater arts, mm-hmm. and um, so w- which acting teachers or which writers, you had Shakespeare as a, as a character in Hell, which were important to you? Of my teachers? Mm-hmm. Um, or colleagues, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly my father was was an ongoing influence in that way. I went to Northwestern University, which was um, is a major theater school in the United mm-hmm. States, and uh, a, a very famous acting teacher there named Alvina Krauss had just retired when I arrived, but she took on some special hand-picked students, and I was one of them, mm-hmm. for some private lessons, and she was certainly helpful. I, I, have, I eventually, pretty quickly, I was in four of the six major productions at Northwestern in my freshman year. But I shifted majors into something that was then called oral interpretation. It's an approach to literature through performance. Mm -hmm. And those teachers in that department, the names have been lost to the world now, but Robert Breen, B-R-E-E-N, and Wallace Bacon, and Charlotte Lee, and Lilla Heston. Mm -hmm. These people um, had a a wonderful discipline of they approached all literature in fact all writing on the premise that everything has a narrative everything written has an implicit narrative persona that you can discern a personality from the way words are used and rhythms and and close textual analysis of of the way self reveals itself in Mm -hmm. In, in voice, mm-hmm. and even um, third-person narrators in, in fiction that have never given a character uh, identity, mm-hmm. every third-person narrator is still someone speaking. It's and still cl- a it's, close third-person. It's it still be, a, yeah. yeah, but even if it's not, I mean, mm-hmm. there, it, 
all writing your cereal box you know uh, you know you, you open a Weetabix and you know or whatever cereal here is but and you read the the uh, you know the kind of chirpy desperately um, effusive um, voice on the side of the box and mm-hmm. if you're attuned to narrative persona you hear a personality on that box one way or another yeah so it, it was a wonderful discipline in for a, a writer to know how to inhabit a narrative voice. Mm. And then, by the way, you performed from it. You, you, you understood the narrative voice, you studied it, you embodied it as an actor would embody a role. Mm. And then you, you, you read the work. In, it's a kind of performance of the narrative persona. The writing of fiction is, is the inhabiting of a, of a narrative persona. If you're a talented reader, you're doing that. Somewhere and as a talented yeah. reader, you are responding to that, mm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're responding to it. Talented readers do this. Right? Talented readers, and I think I've used the operative word in what I'm about to say earlier, but the talented readers, they do not read with their minds. They do not read thinking about what they're reading. They do not read looking for and opening up to and analyzing symbols and themes and all of that. Readers, they allow the narrative persona who is inhabiting the characters in the story to inhabit themselves to them. Mm. And you do not, you know, in your primary and only necessary encounter with a text, a reader does not, is not meant to understand a work of literary fiction in in, in an abstract, analytical, theoretical, philosophical way. Mm. You're meant to thrum to a work of art, like a String sure. vibrating on a stringed instrument, you know, mm-hmm. and you in, and you and you inhabit the persona that is speaking to you, and and sense their uh, their you know their emotional identity. So that was a very influential pedagogy. That and I think it gave me access to to the characters th- that wide range of characters that you'll find in my in my work. That I know how to inhabit them. Mm-hmm. I've lived ravenously. I'm deeply empathetic. I've been married five times. Um, I may not have said the right things always, but I certainly listened well, you know. So um, then they go into the compost heap that I've of of the the Graham Greene cited, and then they then they reemerge as new creatures, and they reemerge full of yearning. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I realized they are full of yearning for their own sense of who they are, the great who the hell am I. Mm-hmm. And that's what you inhabit, and, that what, and that's what you write through. And the creation of narration mm-hmm. is, is to understand and, and track the, the challenges and thwartings of that yearning of the character. So these are obviously some things that you teach now as well, the, the mm-hmm. oral aspect. You teach your students to, to read their work, to perform their well, work. Well, it's interesting you say that because mm-hmm. I've begun recently to, to do little, a little bit more of that, but I don't know. That was the different kind of... Yeah. I do teach creative writing. I don't teach in a classic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are you teaching? What writers do you, do you recommend you're analyzing? And what, you know, um, I don't, uh, I don't teach, well, that's one thing. I do not teach creative writing in, in a kind of, it's often taught in a kind of craft and technique focused lit class. Mm-hmm. But I, we do no outside reading. You do not, you do, I've never taught of works. I've been teaching workshops for mm-hmm. 34 years. And right. the only work that's read is, are the students' work and that mm-hmm. in a very limited way. 
So like the very short stories that you've had in like the, the, that length? It's not that length because there is a concept that emerges from what I believe about mm -hmm. fiction. And um, that, that given that it is the art form of human yearning, mm -hmm. that yearning in the specificity of, a character, of the main character. Mm -hmm. Let me back up and say what's missing first. Almost all the students who come to me, one of the problems that mm -hmm. they're having is that they are out of touch with that, that principle I talked about earlier, that, that, all, that, this is a, that all literary fiction, all fiction has yearning. Mm -hmm. at the center, the character mm -hmm. yearning for that's something. That's what drives narrative. Yeah. But that's almost always missing Why from, is this? from those who aspire to literary fiction. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because the, the so-called the other genres of fiction, the other, you oh, know. They have to. They have to have, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, mysteries, mm -hmm. there's a goal. It, it, it's not yearning, it's not at the deepest level, but it's got a, you know, it's equivalent of yearning, a goal, an objective. Yeah. Got to solve the mystery. Mm -hmm. Or in romance, I, I want that man, or I want that woman. Or, They're very clear you know, about war, it. You've least, got to, yeah. You know, you've got to defeat the enemy in horror. You've got to escape and conquer mm -hmm. the monsters and so forth. I mean, all the, all the modes of narrative that are in the pop culture, mm -hmm. there's always clear objectives that the characters mm -hmm. are always after. But this is where my unified field theory, I'm, I'm beginning to teach it more overtly, yeah. because it's not so clear. It's not mm -hmm. clear at all. What is, what is, there's no built-in objective in literary fiction, except I think it is, in fact, a yearn for an identity. That's what I'm really after or a place in the universe, a self. Mm -hmm. And so I, I try to guide them that way, but... You have to mm -hmm. unteach them some things. Oh, sure. Learn. What I have to unteach is, mm -hmm. is their instinct, uh, you know, their, their, their learned reflex to, mm -hmm. to consult their mind, to write from their heads, mm -hmm. to write from ideas, to, to, um, and to whatever extent that first draft comes out, spontaneously wherever mm -hmm. you know when they're when they're rewriting or editing which has to happen then their 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 rational analytical minds come into play and that's the willful application of craft and technique that that drives them forward to fix things yeah but but but, but that can be done after yeah, yeah, yeah. but no but that's that's yeah. that's what's yeah. being done after yeah. no it can't be done at all is my point uh. what i said is necessary for a reader to mm -hmm. thrum Mm -hmm. So it is for writers, you, you return to your work using your good novelist bad memory, mm -hmm. and you, you encounter the work in a way partly as if you hadn't written it. You thrum to it, and you go thrum, thrum, twang, mm -hmm. and you hit the part that needs work. Mm -hmm. and, and now, normally, you begin to think under the paradigm of... of of the pedagogy mm -hmm. of creative writing. Mm -hmm. I would contend that what you must do then is, is, is just return to the passage which, which twanged and redream it. You return to the dream, mm -hmm. the, your zone. You're in the, the place where you, you go in yourself that comprehends your compost heap. Mm -hmm. And you redream it. You redream the the passage that's not working. Rewriting is redreaming. It is not. It's not. You know. It's, true. it's not. Um, 
grease monkey stuff. It's not get the car up on the on the thing and you go after the parts and you know put some grease in and you you, you use your your craft and technique to do that. Um, I mean, and that's something I have to teach them to do, and that's the unlearning thing because they're they're so ready to think about their work. I read something interesting about Matisse, and I he seems so simple, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, great but simple, right? And I didn't know I, I I could see it in my painter's eyes that there's revision. I thought it was going taking place in the simple color schemes and composition as he was painting it. But then I, I didn't realize that he would paint something, when you're talking about redreaming or whatever, mm-hmm. paint something in his very, you know, blocked out way. Then when he was finished painting for the day, he would wipe it out. This is his process. That's why they seem complicated, although oh, simple. Mm-hmm. And then he wipe it out. And then he go back and do that same painting, and it's becoming more itself. It's more gen- mm-hmm. It kind of mm-hmm. it reminded yeah. me of yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it didn't seem like a cartoon, because it could be cartoons, some of his things, like, right? Right. Yeah. And here's his advantage mm-hmm. over fiction writers. Mm-hmm. No matter how much he thinks about it, no matter, he, even if he gets too caught up in thoughts, when he picks up his brush mm-hmm. and he touches his palette, there's, there's nothing conceptual or obs- in, involved now. It, he's putting color, mm. colors together in in forms. Yes, that that his medium is entirely of the senses. Artists can screw themselves up by thinking too much. No question about it. Mm-hmm. But their medium is always fighting th- that impulse in them. Their mm-hmm. medium is trying to drag them out of their minds and into their senses. But think about the. The equivalent of paint in, in shape, in color and form, in fiction. Yeah. It's words. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, all, not all words are of the senses. In fact, there are more words that are conceptual than there are of sensual. And uh-huh. so the words you're using are fighting against you. Uh-huh. They are trying to, to take you into your mind. They are trying to make you think instead of respond through your senses and so you're, you're the literary artist is constantly having to fight sure. that at the same time i to me i feel it's when the the, the writer really gets into you it is going into your dreams well painting you remember you you can't forget you, yeah. you can remember but it's not that's hardwired into your brain writing it's right. someone whispering in your ear. yeah no no sure sure yeah. your voice so is deeper yeah in my opinion yeah yeah, yeah. no of course because yeah. we live with voice all the time yeah and if, and if we are mute we are talking in our head all the time yeah there is always a voice going on inside us yeah. the, the the painter is working with a stripped down sense of of the way in which yeah. she engages the world or or her own mm-hmm. own inner life mm-hmm. but that's the other thing mm-hmm. that that the literary form is the only one mm-hmm. whose subject matter ultimately is the interaction of the inner sensibility mm-hmm. and the external world yes everything else has the object is all externalized, mm-hmm. but what we are representing... And it has a clear meaning as opposed to music or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. It, it repre- what we are representing is the interaction between the inner life and the external life. Mm-hmm. And, and we, are, we are capturing that mm-hmm. interplay. 
And you, if I may say, so in your very um, illuminating um, webcast as well, which was very interesting. Oh, did you peek you, at that? Yes. <laughs> uh, did you write the in inside real time? creative yes. writing? Yes, yeah. And then also you have written to, as long as we're talking about images, you where you have used postcards as you know you have a whole collection of right, that. right. Yes. Uh -huh. You could speak about that. Yes, uh -huh. it's interesting. A well, collaboration almost. It was, yeah. it, it, in, in a sense. I yeah. collected picture, old yes. picture postcards for years. Yeah. And it's a very, I mean, it's the third largest collectible in the world. Mm -hmm. and oh, okay. So it's a very organized mm -hmm. hobby. And you go to postcard shows. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> local holiday inn motels in the United States occasionally will have on, on a weekend a postcard show when they'd have... 40, 50 postcard dealers show up. All right. You know, and there's, you know, 30 million postcards in this room. Oh. But, I guess uh, but, so, the, but that sounds... hobby is, is <laughs> yeah. organized around the images on the front. Uh, yeah. But I was always interested in the messages on the back. Well, you're a novelist. Okay. <laughs> of course. I am. And, right, and indeed, the, the ways in which, mm -hmm. because in... Mm -hmm. The cards I collected were all between 1906, when mm -hmm. you could, when postcards really were invented, where you could put words on them, mm -hmm. and 1917 or so. Those mm -hmm. are that that was that era, is uh, the fruition of, of picture postcards. At that time in the United States, and I think probably it's true in France too. Every city and town in the United States had at least two mail deliveries a day, mm -hmm. in that era. And people could get a passing thought or emotion, and they could write. They write it in these highly condensed forms, mm -hmm. and then they mail it off in the morning, and in the afternoon it arrives at the other person, and they write it and they put it in the mailbox. And that morning somebody got it, and by the within 24 hours, yeah, it's, it was much faster. It's back. It was yeah. like it was like but early 21st, early 20th century um, um, Twitter or yeah. or email. Mm -hmm. So I was really interested in those those little outbursts of emotion mm -hmm. there. And, oh, know. so you can see their handwriting too in all that. Their handwriting and all of that, that, yeah. And in and in, in some cards, like the card in on the internet the project, like, yeah, it was a what they call a real photo postcard. Somebody mm -hmm. had taken that photograph mm -hmm. with a brownie camera, which were mm -hmm. just popular. Everybody's doing their own photography for the mm -hmm. first time in that era too, and then they could have that image mm -hmm. printed on postcard mm -hmm. stock. So you could send around a lot of people their own photographs. They're called real photo post yes. postcards. And so, uh, but anyway, I, I collected those for years mm -hmm. and loved to read those things and imagine the people in there. And then I began to realize I've got a book here and I chose my 15 favorite cards. Mm -hmm. And I picked up the voice on the back. It, mm -hmm. it was a, that card was one of those cards. It was a, it was a little um, fragment of a life left behind. And I imagined my, myself into that life and, and that voice and, and wrote those, those stories in full. Literary ventriloquism. And that one that you described was about a, an accident. A plane crashing, mm -hmm. yeah, a, a part of a wing tearing away. And mm -hmm. uh, um, I can't, I think I mentioned Graham Greene. We did talk about severance, but it seems to be a similar, not similar, but it's, these are these last moments, as you say. Yeah, sure. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah but I've, I've found the cards where I think people are expressing those belongings, the yearnings that they have. Yeah. Or, yeah. It's all... It's all it's so mysterious. Yeah. I would like to... I mean, it's sad because it's really um, dying out as a, uh, postcards and everything like that. Uh, it would be nice if that was continued Yeah, by, I know they are. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And it's so... I mean, I like email and it's nice, but it's sad. There's this sense. It's a discovery, you know? Uh, I mean, did you have courtships? You had courtships by letter, right? You yeah. yourself. I've had many oh, me and myself. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. more than postcard, I imagine, is for a writer, it would be letters. Yeah. Yeah, there were. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, I, uh, you know, I wrote um, my first wife. Mm-hmm. I was married to before I went to Vietnam. So mm-hmm. I wrote many letters to her uh, from there. And would you still have some of these letters? I think I do you? have those. I, I don't have them anymore because all of my papers, it's wonderful. Oh, it's amazing. All of my papers... I I've saved everything. Even my, mm-hmm. when I was six years old, I mm-hmm. wrote my first story and illustrated it. Oh, yes. It was called The Hard Bullet. It's a cowboy oh. story. All right. Yes, but everything I've ever written, including all the yeah. failed stuff um, and all the handwritten manuscripts and all that, uh, just this past year were sold uh, for a very nice sum to uh, the Beinecke oh. Rare Book and Manuscript Library yes. at Yale University. Yes. It's and they the own Ezra yeah. Pounds yes. and Richard Stein and all those people, so they decided to buy my uh-huh. my archive and uh-huh. and for scholars. Uh-huh. So I'm I'm very happy about that. If 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 I had to choose between another major book award and and the Beinecke buying my all of my work, uh, I would certainly choose the Beinecke. Because that's forever. It's no, it's very interesting. The creative process is going into that. Oh, great! Good, good. Um, But so then, some I imagine this will be wonderful kind of continuity that people will be reading writers, will be young writers, will be reading your papers, and perhaps doing their own kind of postcard inspiration. Well, sure, there you go. There you are. That would be lovely. That's what we try to do. We try to invite, this is what we do, we publish alongside your interview, Mm -hmm. um, young writers. Oh, great. And um, um, academics as well. So we, you know. You know, I've been teaching for 34 years and uh, I've had a lot of very successful writers. Oh, yes. Um, Adam Johnson, Johnson, for instance. I've got another one. You watch watch for his book. Oh, yes. His name is Spencer Wise. Okay, yes. And his book is coming from HarperCollins in June. And okay. He's a he's he's Jewish uh-huh. from Boston, Massachusetts. His father's in the shoemaking business, mm-hmm. as was his father and his father before. There've been five generations of his family in the shoe mm-hmm. business, and of course his plants are now in China. Mm-hmm. And Spencer spent a summer working in his father's plant in China. He's written this wonderful novel called The Emperor of Shoes. And it's about a, a Jewish son and father. It's a father-son novel, and he has a, a, his his lover is of is a Chinese woman who's who's trying to agitate and demonstrate and against the government some of its positions. And mm-hmm. it's a, it's a wonderful novel. It's and you're out one of his first readers. He workshopped uh, I, he, it with you. He was uh, he was my. Um, mentee. I was his mentor at, uh, at Florida State University. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was the novel he wrote for his PhD dissertation. Mm-hmm. We give doctorate to it's under me, and I was his. That. I was the chair of his committee. Yeah, yeah. So. And you must be so proud because Johnson and others. I don't know all your oh, yeah, students. Oh yeah, no, I'm but proud of them all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
It's so gratifying. I think on one level, it's lovely to meet your readers, but it's so lovely to see them. Of course. Them um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And your children. They're so lucky. Because yeah. I read that some, I mean, I imagine a number came specifically to Florida State University they, for many you. Many of them did. Both yes. of them did, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we didn't really speak about your, inf I don't like that word, influences, but the writers have, who have been important to you. Yeah. I would probably refer you back to Graham Greene's comment mm -hmm. because the compost heap mm -hmm. um, that he talks about, he's, he talks about it obviously in terms of life experience, mm -hmm. but that's where all the craft and technique you learn mm -hmm. needs to go. Yeah. The only craft and technique you have command of as a writer is the craft and te technique you've forgotten, that you're mm -hmm. not having to willfully apply. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it is with influences. The writers who have most influenced me, my only, uh, my, I would say, I don't remember who they are because mm -hmm. they are so part of my unconscious or, you know, my compost heap. I mean, I've gone through, I went through a period of ravenous reading, of course, mm -hmm. in, my, in my life when I was learning everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of folks uh, from the canon, uh, William Faulkner and... Mm -hmm. And, and uh, but a lot of my not return to I've only with great trepidation because uh, some of Hemingway I loved early on and mm -hmm. every time I return to a Hemingway book except for uh, a movable feast which mm -hmm. I continue to find interesting but it's yeah. not really fiction it's you know yeah. it's Graham Greene I mentioned I love I, I was I sure. loved his work uh, uh, I mean it's an eclectic group sure. one of my favorite novels is. Uh, the Master and Margarita by oh, Mikhail yes. Bulgakov. So, uh, you know, it's it's a it's an odd odd collection. I'm I'm not sure about. You know, I'll leave that to the folks who visit the Bible to figure that out. I think that it may be others have made an observation of sometimes that and it's one of the great soliloquies I think of all time is like Molly Bloom's soliloquy and Ulysses and I think that mm -hmm. certainly some of your works have that breathless quality. They, they do. Yes. No, you're, you're absolutely yes. right. But that's, in that's own, correct. your own unique yeah. way. I no, 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 no. influence, but it's yeah. just a thing. Well, no, no, but yeah. I mean the influences, the, the, the great influences is not mimicry or, oh, or copying. People. It's it's yeah. just it, they they ignite certain synapses in, in your brain and you and you know how to follow the same, you know, piles in my brain that they followed in theirs. That's, yes. which is, which is fine. You don't end up sounding like I'm really exactly. But it's also people, like in terms of parents. Which of your parents do you feel made the, a deeper influence on you? If you could say that, or deeper. It's hard to say that with my parents. Um, mm -hmm. My mom had um, had, you know, a kind of restless drive in her, mm -hmm. and my dad was an undiagnosed depressive, mm -hmm. but my father, but she, she was a very smart woman, I suppose, I think, but she never went past high school and was just a housewife all her life and so forth mm -hmm. and lived through me and my father, and so mm -hmm. um, I got her drive and ambition, and, and, and uh, but yeah. my father, more, I suppose, his, um, his sense of, the, of, of narrative art forms, I would mm -hmm. guess, and maybe a touch of his depression at times, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mentioned Graham Greene. I've forgotten, mm -hmm. I really have forgotten who have influenced me. I mean, it's mm -hmm. ultimately, uh, I'm just doing kind of superficial backward guesswork, and I, I don't have authoritative answers to that. If I could, I still, if I could still identify my mm -hmm. influences, I would not be writing as well as I am.
I think that's I think it's very very true because when you understand yourself so well, then maybe you'll become a scientist. Yeah, or no, it's the only else, yeah? it's the only There's way really original things can ever be spoken is is to is to get far past your influences, you know. And can we speak about France as well? Because you you've been you're well received in France. You've done as we were mentioning some um, th- uh, collaborations or ballets have been made of your work performed here. Is that right? There's one now being done uh, being set up to be performed in Saint-Denis on, mm-hmm. in October right, from yes. Severance. Okay, yes. Yeah. There's, not, there's never been a major theater piece here. Mm-hmm. I've had eight previous books published in French, but um, for whatever reason, I guess the, the, the woman who was the presiding genius behind Ravage mm-hmm. for years was my champion there, and then she, she died of cancer, and um, my connection to Ravage was broken. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm returning uh, to France. My last book, in fact, was uh, was had a good time in mm-hmm. French. In 2007, I think it was published. Mm-hmm. So it's been a decade since I've been mm-hmm. published in France, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just thrilled that Acte Sud is now wonderful publisher. Yeah, it really is. And um, would you like to have more theater productions made? Oh, of course. Your... I love the yes. theater. Yeah, and no, I would. We are doing some adaptations of yeah. just sh- very short pieces. So I thought of your monologues. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm, exo- I'm, I'm, as I say, my, my master's degree is in playwriting. I've, mm-hmm. And then I've done a lot of, I did a lot of screenplays for Hollywood that mm-hmm. never got made. Oh, yes. That but they kept forever. loving them and they kept hiring me. To, and I became known, which was my but you were good paid my at doom. least, and they were not Yeah, <laughs> my doom was that I was—I was, got a reputation for being able that to write the great projects that they, that they think they love, and they don't know how a movie can be made of it, but they wish they but could Robert figure Redford it out. As well. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I—you know—the fact is, I was the my specialty had become, and it's a—it's like carrying a, a fatal gene. Is that mm-hmm. they would bring me projects that they. They felt should be a movie, but nobody could figure out what the movie was residing in it. And I could find the movie. I could pitch, mm-hmm. you know, I, I got a lot so of work over, over a decade. Yeah, and I could figure it out how to yeah. make a movie out of out of something that oh, others you couldn't. Need to and then it. I and then no, then I wrote the screenplay. You know, <laughs> but I was wrote the screenplay, and they yeah. thought this is terrific. That you really did what you said you do, and I, I see that this is the the best movie that could possibly be made of this material, but I don't think we can put the elements together. Now I can see why we can't do it, pretty much. Do you think so. it's possible sometimes now with uh, things are becoming, well, they're not really going to be more affordable, but sometimes technologies or visualization technique, do you think it's possible? So, I don't know. I haven't seen the screenplay yet. So. Yeah, no, well, I, I I don't own them. That's the thing. Okay. When you get paid a lot of money, you never, you have no rights yeah, it's crazy. Them. It's crazy the way I, I have to say this because my my dad works in like TV now. But um, the writer, I don't like this. The disrespect. That's. I mean, everyone knows that the the writer is so important, and yet it's as you said, you don't own them. You don't yeah, have the no, control. No, you don't. You don't have any control over. Them. Yeah, but uh, no, but the right. Yeah, the writer's role. The writer as part of that collaborative process is not is not is not seen to be the most important element, for sure. It's so silly. It's so wrong-headed. I mean, I know anyone who has a brain knows it's important. Well, the way the writer becomes important in a movie is that mm-hmm. is that the, the writer and the director are the same. Yeah, exactly. The great thing is that you can make movies very cheaply now. You yes. Know? 
compared to the past. And yeah, all the digital. You know, if, uh, you know, the the the, the auteur is mm-hmm. is back you know, with a vengeance, I suppose. But uh, I'm just, as I say, at this point, I've just got too many books to write uh, to to mm. think or worry about that. Well, it's so nice though. It's a privileged role of the, I think of the writer with that one to one communication that you have, no matter what, you know. Cinema has its advantages, but and, and if the way you see the world involves in engaging with the interaction between the deep inner sensibility and the external world, the inner and the outer, mm-hmm. and, 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 and then movies aren't going to do that. Movies no, are movies. Not. Everything has to be externalized. I mean, we yeah. and and the inner world is somebody else's province in a movie. It's the actor's performance which mm-hmm. can speak of the inner life going on. Mm-hmm. But that life has no real direct voice except in fiction. Yeah. But yeah. I do want to ask you one last question. You know, we're talking about, you know, you're, you're getting inspiration from postcards and the older forms of communication and these kind of things. And I was wondering if you could speak about the importance of creativity and how technology is changing the way we're interacting with our imaginations mm. um, as, as you think about the future. You led the question there a little bit about how it, it, it how it interacts with the imagination. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the answer that I that that I feel strongly about in terms of new te- the technology. And the importance it, it of It really, arts. really yeah. does attend to how it shapes our uh, our work. Um, is that uh, the 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 many of the, my books now, by rights, I probably should um, should dedicate them to Google. Uh. Because, um, especially Google Books, um, mm-hmm. I've been whenever I've, I've been writing books in the, during the World War One that mm-hmm. that series I talked to you about, and but even, I mean, uh, five hundred times in Perfume River, I would mm-hmm. I would need to consult Google to to find just the right. I mean, is something as specific as the sneeze guard mm-hmm. in the very first scene where they're doing there's the the uh, buffet and the uh, oh, yeah, all those details. what is that thing called that yeah. the, the glass thing that 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 hangs between mm-hmm. you and the over the food it's, it's a sneeze guard now okay. it took it took i had to go to a, a site that in fact sold buffet equipment to restaurants to find out what that thing was called mm-hmm. Uh, in one of my books in, the, in this historical espionage thriller series, the main character, it, it opens on the Lusitania mm-hmm. on its last voyage. My character is following a suspected German spy, but there's a, another character there that he meets, a woman, a silent film actress, mm-hmm. and he's, a, he's approaching her cabin, first-class cabin in, on the ship, and given the circumstances, she would have a "Do Not Disturb" sign hanging mm-hmm. on a door. Well, were there "Do Not Disturb" signs in 1915? Mm-hmm. I defy you to walk into any library in this in the world and not go to the computer terminals. Go only to the li- the books and the stacks and the reference librarians and all that. I defy you to answer that question. You won't. But mm-hmm. there are I don't know how many millions of books now that have gone off copyright, everything before mm-hmm. 1924, mm-hmm. that are 
scanned in full at, at Google Books, which yes. you can then search words for. Mm -hmm. And I uh, answered this question within three or four minutes. Mm -hmm. Putting in search terms through Google Books for what, you know, possible uh, do not disturb sign language. And it took me very little time to find a scanned volume from 1914 of the Hotel Monthly, which was the, the trade magazine for mm -hmm. owners of hotels. And there was a story in there about these signs that they had on the, on the uh, doors. Right. So, I mean, uh, the interaction for me is that the, the verisimilitude, the, the precision of detail, and it's not just detail for its own sake, because, you know, any good writer with creating this organic object is always looking for the details whose basic sensual patterns fit into everything else. So it's mm -hmm. not just, certainly not the volume of detail, but it's the precision of the detail and the precision of details that then you, that your creative imagination can begin to find the patterns that fit together, mm -hmm. you know, so that all the sense details form a thrumming, coherent whole. Mm -hmm. And um, that is now possible in ways that, especially, and you don't even have to move far out of your own time. As I say, I mean, sneeze guards are all over the place in buffets everywhere now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even a novel set in the present age, oh, just, the, the yeah. ability to, to precisely name the world right. is, is possible now in ways that it has never been before. That's because of the technology. That's a beautiful positive side. I guess the other thing that, I mean, sometimes as I speak to people who are maybe even involved more in STEM and things like that, um, is that there are a lot of, and, and I see it, you know, with my generation and younger, you see it with your students, that there are also many ways in which technology is changing our ability to imagine, um, and, and also we're becoming closer and closer to our machines. I, I feel like the arts are important uh, and that's in, to counteract that, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Yes, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on the future of that in terms of technology, the positive and... Well, it's, it, it, interestingly, it, it's become, and I'm not sure it's not going to evolve away from it for, for a long while here, or the last 10 years or so, is that... I've been intrigued by the fact that it's more language-driven now, you know. That is interesting, And yes. written language-driven. Mm -hmm. Because before they're on the phone and the words just vanish into thin air. Right, it's not but now they're yeah. Now they, they need to, it's a matter, it's a written mm -hmm. mode. Yeah. And for some reason I thought that that might help bring, you know, it keeps the, the sense of what I feel being translated into words that you, that you, right before you. Yeah. They're getting, so getting stronger. Blah, 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 and it mm -hmm. finishes into the world, mm -hmm. into the air. So that seemed to me a little countervailing trend, but now I'm not so sure. I mean, there's more and more video mm -hmm. texting, you know, and... Also, and the way people are using language is strange. No, no, that's that's true. You know, I wrote two whole books on the, on the way that the yes. deep compression of language yes. is, you know. So, so it's interesting. There's always you. going to be a popular, I mean, 
when Shakespeare was around, most people weren't talking. Most people could hardly read. Most people wouldn't talk. The artists have always been creating their objects, you know, without regard really to what the prevailing modes of, of discourse were. You know, were there more people reading books now than there were in Shakespeare's time? I don't know. I just don't know. Um, and there may be new art forms ahead, and maybe maybe the Bainiki and all of its all of its written yeah. stuff will turn into a, a museum. You know, nobody actually goes, and they just go in and dust the shelves now and then. I don't no. know. No, but no. in the meantime, all I know is that that the impulse that 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 every one of us is mm-hmm. in in profound search for for the answer to that great question: Who the hell am I? Mm-hmm. You know, and poor Donald Trump at three in the morning tweeting. You know, that's he what's even going. Know. <laughs> he, he is in desperate thrashing, desperate search to, to figure out who he is. He's mm-hmm. all about who the hell am I? The leader of a, another country who's got a nuclear weapon and the most obscure TV commentator mm-hmm. are equally important to him. And it's all and, and Kim Jong Un. Desperate search of his identity. I mean, we all are, and we'll so we just need. More and novels. I don't, you know, and 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 ultimately, ultimately, I think how we creatively put words together, which is the only medium in which we can begin to express and exchange the inner life with the external life, will always exist in some way. At this point, we're still publishing stories and novels, and and that seems to fit how it is that I'm trying to understand what the hell this is all about, this this thing called life on planet Earth. Uh-huh. That sounds like a concluding <laughs> sentence, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And My thank you pleasure. so much for your contributions to our understanding of who I, we are. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews Producer on this podcast was Xander Gidry, and Digital Media Coordinator is Yu Young Lee. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadalas and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this interview sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info for an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition traveling to leading universities or published on our website, www.creativeprocess.info. If you want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews, email us at team at creativeprocess.info.